I wonder if we could uh, turn this evening to the Gospel of Luke chapter 13 and we'll uh, read from verse uh, 11 of the chapter. Where I'm going to uh, turn to different uh, parts of Luke's Gospel this evening, but we'll read this uh, Luke 13th chapter and as we go then, we'll direct you to the other portions of Scripture. But uh, Luke's Gospel, chapter 13, and beginning our reading at verse 11 this evening. And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity eighteen years, and was bowed together, and could in no wise lift up herself. And when Jesus saw her, he called her to him, and said unto her, Woman, Thou art loosed from thine infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. And the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation, because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day. And he said unto the people, There are six days in which men ought to work. In them, therefore, come and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. The Lord then answered him and said, Thou hypocrite, doth not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his ass from the stall and lead him away to watering? And ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abram, whom Satan hath bound low these eighteen years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And when he had had said these things, all his adversaries were ashamed, and all the people rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. Then said he unto, What is the kingdom of God like? And whereunto shall I resemble it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and cast into his garden, and it grew and waxed a great tree, and the fowls of the air lodged in the branches of it. And again he said, Whereunto shall I liken the kingdom of God? It is like leaven which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened. And he went through the cities and villages teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. Then said one unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? And he said unto them, Strive to enter in at the straight gate, for many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in, and shall not be able. When once the master of the house is risen up, and is shut to the door, and ye begin to stand without, and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us, and he shall answer and say unto you, I know not whence ye are. Then shall ye begin to say, We have eaten and drunk in thy presence, and thou hast taught in our streets. But he shall say, I tell you, I know you not whence ye are, Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when ye shall see Abram and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourself thrust out. And they shall come from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south and shall sit down in the kingdom of God. But behold, there are last which shall be first and there are first which shall be last. Amen. We know the Lord 
will add his blessing to the reading of his precious word again to our hearts. Let's unite again at the throne of grace in prayer, please. Our loving God and our gracious Father, we come to thee in our Saviour's name, and we do thank thee for the precious word of God. We thank, Lord, of the many answers that are given in God's precious word. We thank that there's answers to our lives, there's answers to our souls, there's answers to our eternity, there's answers uh, to our uh, bliss throughout the eons of eternity. And our Father, we thank Thee that God gives the answers that we need. And so, our Father, we pray that even as we think of these things and as we consider some of these questions that were asked in the Gospels, we pray, Lord, that Thou wouldst enlighten us and guide us into all truth and bless our souls tonight. For it's in Jesus' precious name that we'd ask these things. Amen. Amen. Verse uh, 23 there is a question. Then said one unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? The Bible is the greatest handbook in the world, answering the greatest questions in the world. You think of the questions that are asked by people in their everyday living. Does God exist? And if so, what's he like? Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? What's my purpose in life? Uh, Why is there so much pain and suffering in the world? How can I live joyfully and meaningfully in this world that is full of evil? What happens after I die? Is history headed somewhere? All of those questions are many questions that people face day by day. Most religions will attempt to answer those questions in some way. Even atheism seeks to answer those kinds of questions, but they can provide no answer. The naturalist might say, you don't have a future, you don't have anything. But dear friend, that doesn't answer the deepest longing of your soul. Uh, One of the greatest questions that was asked by man very long ago is who am I and how have I got here? And the Bible answers that question. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Another question that men ask is, where am I going? And once again, the Bible has the answer. It is appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. And we're all going to face a judgment. We're all going to face that day when we are brought before the great assize of God And the judge of all the earth will stand. And history is headed somewhere. It is a history that has been spoiled by sin. But it is a history that is God's story. And it is something that has a plan and purpose behind it. So if there is a judgment at the end, what basis is the judgment upon? Well, we find that again In the word of God, in James chapter 2 and verse 10, it says, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point is guilty of all. What are we judged on? The law of God. God's law. We think of how God has ordained that we walk a life of perfect righteousness before him. 
We can't do that because we sin day by day. And we think of that judgment that is coming. And one day we'll have to give an account for our sins. And we need someone to be able to pay for the sins that we have committed. And that brings us to salvation. You see, when we sum up all the questions, who am I? Where am I? Where am I going? The most vital thing of all is that you know that your sins are forgiven, that you know the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you're washed in the precious blood of the Lamb, and that you're on your way to heaven. We think of that vital question, the question of salvation. And in this portion of Scripture and in the Gospels, we have some of these great questions of salvation. The Bible deals with these questions. And I want us just to think about those questions tonight. The Bible's not irrational. The Bible is very rational. It comes down and brings us the very very pith and marrow of wisdom itself. And dear friend, if you want to be wise then you will investigate what the Bible has to say in answer to the greatest questions of this day and generation. So tonight, what we want to do is just look at some of these deep questions that we have answered for us in the Gospel of Luke. And first of all, I want us to see the question of the heedless. I'm going to call it the question of the heedless, and maybe we'll see in a little while why I'm saying it's a question of the heedless. But look there in Luke chapter 13, and look at verse 23, and it says, Then said one unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? Now that's a question that has puzzled many people and perplexed theologians down the ages. Are there few that be saved? Are there few or are there many that be saved? Well, listen to the uh, a reply that was made by the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 23 and into verse 24. And he said unto them, the Lord said, Strive to enter in at the straight gate, for many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in, and shall not be able, shall not be able. Now that's something to surprise you. Not everybody's saved. Not everybody's going to heaven. We think of the gate here. It speaks of the narrow gate that it leads to life. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who said, I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved. And we think of how there is that straight gate that leads to life. And it is the road that brings us into bliss and into happiness. It is the road, the gate that is provided by the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you want true salvation tonight, you've got to go by the way that our Savior has opened up for us there on the center cross of Calvary. But I want you to see here that it is not open to all. He, he says there are. Uh, he says that uh, I say unto you, that there are many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. You know, the Bible says, my spirit shall not always strive with man. 
There are those that will seek to enter in, but they'll not be able. You say, but the preacher tells us that we can come whenever we uh, want to come. We can come as we are. We, we, the, the door of heaven is opened. The invitation is always there, and it is always there. But dear friend, I want to tell you, there comes the night that no man can work. The word of God says, my spirit, the Lord says, my spirit shall not always strive with man. And if you think that you're going to burn the candle of your life and burn it both ends and then blow it out in the face of God at the end and get saved at the end of your life, well, dear friend, it may not be that your plan is going to work out. There are so many people. And that has not been a plan that has worked out for them. Disease has entered in. An accident has taken place. Something that has perverted their, or diverted the mind. And all of those things, circumstances enter in. And there are those, it says, that will not be able. Will not be able. What does it mean when it says, Many, I say unto you, shall seek to enter in and shall not be able. Well, I want you to see the difference here in the verbs that are used in the uh, text of Scripture here. I want you to see the verb in verse 24. Strive to enter in, or he says, uh, strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. Now, I want you to see that one is seeking... The other, what the Lord tells them to do, is to strive. Now, the word seek there is a word that uh, uh, speaks of desiring something. It has the connotation of inquiring after something. And there are many people, in that sense, who seek the door of salvation, who inquire after it, who are interested in it, who want to know about the gospel. Maybe you sit in gospel meetings or tune in to gospel meetings because you want to know about the way of the cross. You want to know about the way of salvation. And in that sense, you're an inquirer. In that sense, you're interested. In that sense, there is a desire within your heart to know about the way of salvation and the way of the cross. And you do know about those things. But I want you to see what the Lord Jesus said. He didn't just say, seek it, inquire after it, have a little desire in your heart after it. No, he said, strive to enter in. And the word strive there in the Greek is a word from which we get our word agonize, agonize to enter in. The entrance is narrow. The way is uh, straight. It, it is uh, difficult to enter. And it's a tight spot. And dear friend, you need to strive to enter in. It's a difficult uh, entry, this. You say, in what way is it difficult? Well, for one thing, it's difficult because you have to lay yourself low in order to get into this gate. You can't bring any baggage with you. If you, if you were to think about one of those turnstiles, that they have a sports ground, and it only gives you enough room for yourself to get in and uh, nothing else with you. 
And that's the kind of thought of this gate. It's a narrow gate. You can only come in yourself. You can't bring your baggage with you. You can't bring your merits with you. You can't bring your accomplishments with you, your achievements with you, all of the things that you cleave to, your church membership, all of the things that you're looking to. You can't bring those things with you. You've got to get yourself low. This is a low entrance. And you've got to get yourself down in the dust and you've got to plead for the mercy of God and you've got to call upon the Lord for salvation. So this is humiliating. This is painful. And there is that pain about coming to the cross. There is that conviction of sin. There is that realization that we have done wrong in the sight of a holy God. You've got to say, I'm wrong. My nature is wrong. My very being is wrong. My heart is wrong. And I'm willing to come and have all of those things put right. Now, that's what it means to strive to enter into the kingdom. And this is not an easy calling. One who is an example of striving to enter in is the Apostle Paul in the Philippians 3. He speaks about how he was formerly a Pharisee. He says that if anybody could boast in the flesh, he more. He, above all, he was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, touching the law of Pharisee. And that means he kept the law very carefully. He was a zealous man. As far as his fellows were concerned, he was a blameless man. But he says, all of that, I count but loss. He says, I counted but dung that I may win Christ. He says, I've suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Now, men and women, there needs to be that humility, and that's not easy. And it's not just a matter of seeking or inquiring after salvation, or having an interest in salvation, or coming to gospel meetings to hear about salvation, dear friend, there's got to be an entering in. And that is difficult. The devil will put up every barrier to stop you getting in. Dear friend, sometimes you'll come and maybe you'll find that the gate is shut. We uh, think about how here it speaks of wrong timing. This man came when it was too late, and you can leave it until it is forever too late. Strive, and the word there is in the present imperative. Uh, It is strive now, strive now. I think it's actually the error, strive once and for all to get in to this place. So here is the question of the heedless. Dear friend, here were people, and they had some kind of interest, but in the end of the day, they had no heed to their soul. They had no heed to the importance of salvation. And here's the question of the heedless. Are there few that be saved? Oh, they made the question, but they did nothing about it. But then a second question that I want you to see. Turn over to Luke's Gospel, chapter 18. Turn over a few pages there and look at verse 26. And we have another question that is given here 
Um, this is the Lord Jesus here, and we're thinking about this rich young ruler. And we read how the rich young ruler, he comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, and he asked him, good master, how can I obtain eternal life? And the Lord Jesus says to him, keep all the commandments. And he says, thou knowest the commandments, verse 20, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother. And then if you look in verse 21, you see his reply. And he said, all these have I kept from my youth. And he's sincere about that. He believes that he has kept all of the commandments from his youth until the Lord Jesus puts his hand and puts his finger upon the sin of his life. Because the Lord says to him now, he said, Yet lackest thou one thing, sell all that thou hast and distribute unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure and heaven, and come follow me. And by that, we have the two tables of the law. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, with all thy mind. And he said, come follow me. And thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Go sell all that thou hast and give to the poor. So in one fell swoop, one thing he lacked. But he lacked everything. He lacked everything. And my, he thought that he was good and upright and in many ways in the eyes of the world he was but he lacked it all. He lacked it all. And so do we. But I want you to see, what I want you to see now is what happens when the Lord Jesus comes to the end of that. Um, it says in verse 24, the young man goes away sorrowful. He, he, he is not willing to do what the Lord has said. Look at verse 24. And when Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful, he said, how hardly shall they that have riches Enter into the kingdom of God, for it is easier for a camel to go through the, a needle's eye than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Now, that statement shocks the people to the core because it was the common opinion among the Jews that if you were rich, you had the blessing of God. If you were poor, it was because of some awful sin that had been committed in your life or committed surrounding your life, that for some reason that you had been uh, sort of like a curse upon you. And so here the people are absolutely flabbergasted. And now they can't say, they, they're saying to themselves, well, this is hopeless. This is hopeless. Who then can be saved? And that's the question that they ask in verse 26. And when they heard that, it's, it's, it's said, who then can be saved? Who can be saved? That's a good question, isn't it? Dear friend, who can be, can you be saved? Can I be saved? Can men and women be saved? Is that, that's the question. If those that have riches cannot be saved, who then can be saved? Now, when the Lord Jesus speaks about riches here, it isn't that nobody with riches can come and put their trust in the Lord. For we think of Abram and Jacob, who were rich men. We think of the uh, apostles, John, uh, James and John, who had a rich father, who had a business, and so on. It's the fact that these people were putting 
uh, riches as an idol. That's what they were doing. They were making an idol of their riches. They were putting their riches in front of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we can say that about riches, but we can open it out tonight. And we can say that about anything, any person, any hobby, work, business, kind of lifestyle that you have, whatever that may be. Dear friend, if you put that in front of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's an idol. And if you're going to hold on to that, you cannot be saved. You can't be saved. You can't be saved. You can't be saved and hold on to all of these things. And maybe you're saying tonight, well, I want my pleasure. I want my gratification. I want my money. I want my fame. I want to be with the crowd. I want to deaden my conscience. Dear friend, if that's the thing that you're going to hold on to, then you can't be saved. Mirabeau uh, was a French atheist, and he refused all his life to accept that there was anything beyond that which he could perceive until he came to his deathbed. And on his deathbed, suddenly eternity became real. And on his deathbed, he cried out, Give me laudanum, uh, that I may not think of eternity. Laudanum, of course, was um, a drug to get him out of everything. Maybe like um, uh, morphine in this day. Give me laudanum, that I may not think of eternity. And here he was, and he wanted to hold on to his uh, atheism and all the rest of it. He just didn't want to think. Now I say to you, dear friend, think, think. What is this thing that you're holding on to? Is it going to benefit you any in eternity when you end up in that place of weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth? Is it going to benefit you anything? Who then can be saved? Those that will humble themselves, as we saw before, those that will put the Lord Jesus Christ uh, as the one who is the door by which they enter. The Lord Jesus Christ is the only Savior. Who then can be saved? Those that come by faith to him. That's the simple answer. Not the riches, not religion, not respectability, but it's the Lord Jesus Christ. Who then can be saved? Those that trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. But one more question we want to think about and this is in Luke's writings as well. But turn over to the book of Acts, chapter 16. And this is a very famous question. Acts chapter 16, and look at verse 30. And this is the Philippian jailer. You'll remember that Paul and Silas had been uh, thrust into the inner part of the prison. Paul and Silas had been arrested because of a tumult that had taken place in the city as they had pre in Athens as they preached the gospel um, uh, of in Philippi by rather as they preached the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and you remember how that God sent an earthquake and loosed the bands of the prisoners and opened the bars uh, the doors of the prison and we find that this Philippian jailer is absolutely aghast at what has taken place he is about to take his life. He draws a sword in order to take his life 
because he uh, has failed in his duty. He has failed in his duty before the Romans to keep all of the prisoners in that place. And he knows that if he is, uh, has failed in his duty in that way, that he has forfeited his life. And so he is going to take his own life rather than face the execution, crucifixion, or whatever it was going to be. And in the midst of that, Paul cries, Do thyself no harm. We're all here. And he couldn't believe it. He couldn't believe it, that they were still all there. For though the bars were open, not one of those prisoners, not just Paul and Silas, but every one of those prisoners was without the bars, without the doors, without the chains, still there. None of them had fled. And he could see the mighty hand of God. One thing to see an earthquake, and we know the power of God in an earthquake. But earthquakes can take place. But this fact that these men, these criminals, these men, some of them facing execution, facing uh, flagellation, facing a beating, were still there. They hadn't run. Something about that that the man could see. And he cried out. And this is the question. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And of course, the answer is the very famous answer. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And my, how important a question that is. You know, we need to put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to trust the Savior. As we say, without faith, it is impossible to please him. Thank God tonight that through faith we can come to the Savior, for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And if you'll come by faith to the Lord Jesus Christ, take what he has provided in salvation. Take what he has offered there on the center cross of Calvary. Dear friend, if you'll put your faith in him, you can be saved tonight. You can know your sins forgiven. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't just believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but it means venture your all on him. Put your whole eternity on him. You, you, the, he's the one who will bring you through. He's the one who will lift you up. And my dear friend, this is an important question, the question of faith. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? It's an important question. It's also an invigorating question because the jailer here was completely transformed by the mighty power of God. He had, lo he, he had been lost. He was fearful. The jailer was thinking of committing suicide in the midst of it. But my, what a change took place when the, uh, uh, the, this man recognized the Lord Jesus Christ. My, what a transformation took place in the life of this man. Before, he's a rough, tough Roman prison officer. He is a jailer there, the toughest of the tough. But now, here he is, down on his knees. He's confessing the Lord Jesus Christ. He has come to the point where he has abandoned all of his 
paganism and all of his sin, and he has believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's the transforming, invigorating power of the gospel. Not only is it an important question, an invigorating question, but look at this. It's an individual question. What must I do to be saved? Have you ever asked that? Have you ever put that question to yourself? What must I do to be saved? It must be you individually. You can't come because your parents have come or your husband has come or your wife has come or your friends have come. Dear friend, this is a matter between you and God. It's a matter about your heart. This is an individual question. But it's also an inescapable question. Because there was that jailer there And we think of him as he is in that jail and he is facing a question that he needs to answer. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And the thing was, was he going to be saved that day? Was he going to get down on his knees? Was he going to cry unto God for salvation? And we're glad that he did. And not only was he saved, but his household was saved as well. And dear friend, the Lord Jesus Christ is able to save to the uttermost all that come unto God by him. We think of the questions of life. Who am I? Where am I going? How can I? What will happen after death? Where will I be in the judgment? What about my salvation? Am I right to stand before God in the judgment? Am I ready for all eternity? Those are questions that you need to answer for yourself. And may you come tonight and trust the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord. Let's just bow, please, in a word of prayer. Our loving God and our gracious Father in heaven, we do thank Thee for these mighty salvation questions that we have in the Word of God. And we pray that men and women might turn to Thee, find Thee as their own and personal Savior, draw sinners to Thyself. And we thank Thee for the Bible, for the God of heaven who answers every question. We thank Thee that though many questions aren't fully answered here, we thank that we'll know hereafter And we'll know that God has done all things well. Bless thy word. Write upon our hearts for Jesus' sake. Amen. Can we turn to the hymn 265 in closing? I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned on clean. Verses 1, 4, and 5. Those three verses, verse 1, 4, and 5, and we'll stand as we sing.
God and our gracious Father, we do thank Thee for Thy love towards us. We thank Thee it's an everlasting love. And so, our God, we pray that Thou wouldst put Thy hand upon us, and we pray that Thou wouldst separate us in Thy fear and blessing. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship and communion of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with thy people both now and in the incoming days. For Jesus' sake, amen.